Good morning, my friends and family here at New Life. Good morning to all of you in here. If you are out on the patio and you're wanting to come in here, this is your cue to get in here, finish your conversation up, get your coffee. <laughs> Church is starting. So my name is Elena. If we haven't met, it is so good to just be together this morning. If this is your first time here, we would just love to meet you. You can come to one of our Connection Centrals. There's two in the lobby, one on the patio, even one in the parking lot. We'll catch you as, as you leave. We have a gift for you. We'd just like to answer any questions that you might have, figure out how you might be able to plug in here to the New Life family some more. We have a lot of great ways coming up for you to connect. One of them is happening this Wednesday is the last. Wednesday of the month, which we gather together, we sit around tables, and we have um, a teaching and a discussion about a topic. This month's topic is parenting. So what, whatever you are in your parenting journey, whether you have littles, or your kids are grown, or you're a grandparent, or maybe you just are preparing, or maybe you really want to volunteer in Kidsmen, and so you want to learn some good parenting tools because, you know, you want to volunteer in Kidsmen. So you can come on Wednesday. We share a meal together, and we sit around tables. It's a great chance just to get to know other new lifers and just feel like this place is a little bit more like home. And today, this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, which is a day that we, we set aside as a part of our Christian calendar just to celebrate the infilling of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit was released um, upon humanity and upon our world, and it is um, definitely something worth celebrating because not only did it change the course of the history, but I can attest that it changed my life and has probably changed your life, having the Holy Spirit with you. And so as we prepare to worship this morning, I just invite you to just ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill you anew, afresh again. And maybe ask how you might express your worship this morning, maybe in a new and a fresh way. The altars are open up here in the front if you'd like to kneel before the Lord. Maybe raise your hands. However you would like to express your worship this morning, we invite you to participate. And as we prepare our hearts for worship, um, we're going to watch this video that talks that is from Scripture from Acts chapter 2. And I just want you to know that all of the voices that you here on the video are new lifers. They are part of our new life family. So let's prepare our hearts. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. 사도행전 2장 1절에서 3절 말씀입니다. 마침내 오순절이 이르렀을 때 그들이 모두 함께 한 곳에 모여 있었습니다. 그때 하늘로부터 갑자기 급하고 강한 바람 같은 소리가 있었고 그들이 앉아 있던 온 집을 가득 채웠습니다. 그리고 마치 불 같은 혀들이 갈라지는 것이 그들에게 나타나 and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear that their own languages were being spoken by the believers. Бо Святий Дух дав їм таку здатність. У той час побожні юдеї з усіх країн світу жили в Єрусалимі. 
коли пролунав цей звук, зібрався великий натовп, і всі люди дивувалися з цього, бо кожен із них почув свою рідну мову. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Cretenses y árabes, los oímos hablar en nuestros propios idiomas de las maravillas de Dios. Todos estaban asombrados y perplejos, diciéndose unos a otros, ¿Qué quiere decir esto? You are moving. I'm here and I know you will 
grace, Lord, for your sanctifying power. Outwork in our hearts, in our minds. Christ, be the center, be the Lord of our life. Be my everything. We're going to sing these words. In you is all I need. You're my breath. You're my life. You're my everything. And just take, again, a posture of whatever it looks like to worship him freely in this space. Wherever you want to do that, however you want to do that.
thought about whatever, whatever with the conversation, whatever the outcome of the conversation I thought for my own self and for, for all of us. You know, as a worship pastor here in your life, there are sometimes songs that I sing. I'm like, what's that lyric about? You know, I haven't, I haven't come across that concept in scripture before or something silly like that. And I, I catch myself all the time just when, when my heart posture is correct, the Holy Spirit reveals something that's more, there's more to it than, oh, it's just that lyric again. You know, it's, it's more than just, oh, you're worthy of my praise or something like that. It's like, he gives me new perspective. And so we sang this song, Forever Yahweh, at, uh, at our prayer and worship night this last Monday. And there's some words like Adonai and Elohim and El Shaddai. And I was like, man, if we don't explain those, then we are missing something. And so uh, these concepts, these, these words, they're Hebrew words for God. Or, and each one of them means something specifically. The Hebrew people had such reverence for God that they, they chose these names because he was the God that was greater than all of the others kind of talked about in scripture, all of the, all of the enemy gods and all these other things. I just want to press in right now into this moment to say it's okay to not know it's okay to 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 not have every concept and every idea down but are our hearts aligned in a place where we say lord just teach me i want to be teachable i am the clay and you're the potter i want you to make me and mold me and that's that song spirit of the living god make me mold me fill me use me are we being working with us? Is he trying to work with us? Or are we so rigid that the Holy Spirit is like, I, I can't do anything. This is like, come on, you gotta help me out. So would we just kind of press into that moment in this song? Again, just want to encourage you to take up a position of worship, whatever that looks like for you. And just make sure it's, it's right. Just make sure, make sure you know that, that he's worthy of, of, of your heart to be in the right place. So, Lord, we just come, come to you with repentant hearts this morning. We say, God, forgive us of our sin. Cleanse, of, cleanse us of our unrighteousness as we approach your throne and bring you a new song that says, worthy you were, worthy you are, worthy you will be forever, Yahweh. Holy Spirit, move.
Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers forward to receive the offering as we continue in our time of worship. Um, if you already have set up recurring giving, that is awesome. Um, if you just give when you're here on Sundays, there's multiple ways to do that. We also are very fancy now and we have tablets in the connection counters inside. So if you need any help with that, if you have it on your heart to give today, we can help you know which way is easiest for you. Um, also, on Sunday next week, we are going to be doing Celebration Sunday. So we celebrate uh, baptisms. So if you have not been baptized before, if that's something that's been on your heart, um, it's an outward demonstration of an inward decision to let Jesus be Lord of your life. Um, please come talk to one of us. I'll be on the patio. We have the indoor counters too. And we will get you all set up to join us for baptisms next Sunday. We also do child dedications. Um, there have been lots of babies born lately. So we love to celebrate that. Um, but it's not just for babies either. If you are a parent and you want to 
dedicate your child to the Lord and have the church come alongside you and say that they are going to partner with you um, in showing them the love of Jesus and raising them to know and love Jesus, then that child dedications is for you. So again, come talk to us if you want to get signed up. And because it is graduation season, we are also going to be celebrating graduating high school seniors. So if you are a high school senior or you have a high school senior, just make sure you're here next Sunday so that we can celebrate you and pray over you as you take the next steps in your life. Um, This weekend, many of us are going to be having a three-day weekend because Monday is Memorial Day. So this is a time that we... um, memorialize those who have given their lives in service um, to the military. So I just want to do a pray a prayer for us as we um, go through this Memorial Day weekend. So if you can bow your heads in prayer. Holy God, your love is stronger than death, and your life-giving power has no end. We commend to your eternal care all who have died in the service of others even as we lament the violence of war. Comfort and sustain all those who mourn. Heal the wounded body, mind, and spirit. Bring justice, freedom, and dignity to all people and bring an end to war throughout the earth so that all may know your promised peace through Christ, the resurrection, and the life. Amen. Sorry about that, uh, tech team. That is not your fault. Uh, so, so good to gather with the people of God and so good on this Pentecost Sunday to be able to gather and remind ourselves of what God has been doing. And one, uh, just a quick note, um, if you are around um, tomorrow in downtown Pismo near the pier uh, and you want to participate in a Memorial Day service, Um, There will be one at 11 a.m. that our community does, and I have the privilege tomorrow of being one of the speakers and praying and and sharing a little bit uh, there. And so I just invite you, if you're down near that area and want to be a part of a Memorial Day uh, service, um, taking time out um, of the barbecue and the gathering of friends and family and so many of the great things that we have the privilege of doing uh, this Memorial Day uh, to pause and remember the sacrifice that so many have made so that we can gather and have barbecues and worship like this and, the things, and do things this weekend. So I just invite you to be a part of that. Well, we've been in this series called um, Beautiful Disruption, and we've been working our way through the book of Acts, um, kind of in just like major portions of it, and we're reminded of a couple of things that, you know, in John chapter 20, when uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, he breathes on them, and it says that when he breathes on them, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says uh, a promise that is given that is um, shortly later comes to fruition. It says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive, say it with me, power, right? So turn to someone next to you and say, you will receive power. So here's what I'm hoping that you realize during the series. It's kind of covert, like under the surface of this series called Beautiful Disruption. We've been talking about what is it that 
empowers us to be that beautiful disruption. And so we've been asking ourselves, okay, if we're gonna be witnesses that have received power to point people towards Jesus, his life, teaching, death, and resurrection, what are those areas that we need to be empowered to in order to bear witness to him? And we talked about one of those areas is in the area of generosity. The early church, they were generous with their resources and they didn't expect anything in return. And so what was so fascinating to the culture around them is that they would give away their resources, they would care for the poor, that they would do these things. And it wasn't like I'm doing this so that I can receive something back. It simply is God is given us these resources, so we're going to give these to the poor and care for those in need. And people began to take notice that those who had believed in Jesus as Jesus's life, death, and resurrection and had been filled with the Holy Spirit displayed this radical generosity. People who uh, believed in Jesus and, and had been filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, the culture around them began to notice that they weren't segmenting themselves like everybody else was. They weren't segmented by socioeconomic classes. They weren't segmented by male and female. They weren't segmented by citizenship. They weren't segmented by ethnicity. They were a gathering of people who had believed in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, what's referred to as the gospel, had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, they broke down these artificial barriers that culture had built up. They believed in one Lord and one faith and one baptism and had been filled by one spirit and people began to take notice of this. It was fascinating to me over the last week to be able to hear some of the testimonies that came out of a simple exercise we did last week. The various people that when I asked you to stand up and turn and introduce yourself to somebody, there were connections that were made because we were willing to say, not just, hey, that's somebody I sit next to, but that's my brother, that's my sister in Christ. Right, And so all of a sudden you had individuals this week that, that either told me or told one of our staff members or emailed us and said, hey, I met somebody this past week when you had us do that and we're going out to dinner this week. I met somebody and we went on a hike. I met somebody and, and it just so happens that, that we're gonna be at the same hospital at the same time having a different procedures, but we're gonna pray together with one another when we gather there. And we're not talking about a local hospital. Mount Sinai, like they happened to meet each other last week and are at the same hospital at the same day. That's the Holy Spirit that is binding us together and having these divine appointments that are taking place. And so all of a sudden, what, what could have felt like an uncomfortable exercise, amen, introverts, what felt like it was an uncomfortable exercise began to display what the Holy Spirit does in us. And so these witnesses had this radical generosity. These witnesses were, were in fellowship with one another when culture said you shouldn't be in fellowship with one another. These witnesses had a radical new worldview. And that worldview wasn't a Roman worldview and it wasn't a culture worldview. It was a kingdom worldview where Jesus was Lord over all and the kingdom of God was being seen as coming in or they were praying prayers and living into the reality of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these witnesses, both through their words and their actions, began to declare the message of the gospel, the, the teachings of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection began to have implications about who they were 
And by AD 350, all of a sudden you had 50% of the Roman empire that were followers of Jesus or followers of the way. And Constantine, he ain't no dummy of a politician, either had a real encounter with Jesus or at the very least said, I'm jumping on the Christian bandwagon because everybody seems like they're doing it. And the reason that they were wasn't because they had fancy buildings and wasn't because it was easy and wasn't because they all sang the same music and liked the best music or had the best preachers. The reason that people were coming to know Jesus is because they saw these witnesses of Jesus in their radical generosity. They saw these witnesses of Jesus breaking down the barriers of culture. They saw these witnesses of Jesus caring for the poor. They saw these witnesses of Jesus caring for the sick. And none of that would be possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. None of that would have been possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still suffering a little bit from those uh, uh, seasonal allergies, right? Um, so five pillars, five pillars. Um, uh, let me back up and say this. I was doing something and listening to some podcasts this last week and asking myself, okay, so when, the, when people look at the, our church, when they look at the church in America, it's like that why people are coming to know Jesus. And, and when people look at the underground church in places like China, is that why they are coming to know Jesus because of these types of things? So I was listening to this podcast and they, it was this uh, pastor who was talking to, talking about a conversation that he had had with some of the uh, Chinese leaders of the Christian church and the underground church in China. And I was just fascinated as I began to listen because there was a moment in... Um, where, and this is not too far back, but where they could begin gathering in spaces like this. And so um, they allowed them to gather in spaces like this and, and there was some growth and things that happened. And you had some, quote, mega churches in the world that kind of grew up in these spaces. But, but then the, the government recognizing kind of this movement be, shut them back down again. And so they had to go underground again and things like that happened. And there was interesting thing that began to take place is that they began to realize that when they got to, when they had the opportunity to gather in spaces like this, there were certain things that they had were foundational to who they were as followers of Jesus that kind of got pushed to the side because other things became more priority and when they were gathering in spaces. And so this pastor asked this, uh, you know, this religious leader, what, what are those things that you realized that you needed to lean into again? Because all of a sudden when the church went underground, they began to explode in growth again and people became, came to know Jesus Jesus in, in just like uh, droves, they began, they began to know Jesus. And so there, he said there was really five things that, that we began to do. And so as this pastor did, I began to do, I began to go, okay, I'm gonna do kind of like a, a checklist, like, like what the early church was like and what this underground Chinese church, like, do you see that evidence of those things, not only in the American church, but in new life? And so one of the five pillars of, of the Chinese underground church was prayer, that they would that they were intercessors and they were going to the Lord in prayer. When they were gathering in these more mega churches, some of that got moved to the side, but when they went back underground, prayer became a vitally important lifeline for the church. And so I said, you know what, we're, we're, we're not doing bad, we're not doing great in that, but, like, but like, like, hey, at least it's on our radar screen, right? We're making movement in this particular area of praying as the people of God and intercessor and becoming intercessors as the people of God. And so, man, I, I feel like I see some movement in that in our church in particular and in the American church. 
And the second thing that, that they talked about was studying of God's word. And I thought, well, that's something that we like to focus on, right? Like, so we have people who will gather together in Bible studies or they will find themselves um, studying God's word in, uh, on Sunday morning or in Bible studies or on their own. And so it seems like that, you know, we are, you know, that's kind of check mark, right? Like check prayer and check Bible study. We're, we're doing pretty good here, right? I'm feeling, you know, not too bad about ourselves. The third area, and this one began to be, be a little bit challenging. The third pillar that they said was so vitally important important to this just movement of the Holy Spirit and the movement of God throughout China in, this underground, in the underground church is the preaching of the gospel. And not just the preaching of the gospel from pastors, which that tended to happen when they went into mega churches. It was like one person preaching the, the gospel to many. But when the church is thriving and moving underground, everybody is preaching the gospel. Everybody is equipped to share the message of the gospel, Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection. Because you never know where you are and you can't gather in spaces like this. So everybody becomes a proclaimer of the gospel. And I thought, you know, ah, man, I, I bet if I asked, I bet if I asked our congregation to say, when was the last time that you shared the message of the gospel with somebody? I think some people would be like, ah, I don't know, right? Like, I think that, I think that just probably would be a little bit of a challenge for us to go, to go, hey, when was the last time? You, many of us could think of like a time when we did it, but is it sometime recent? Have we done it frequently? Is it something that's a part of our life? The fourth area, which uh, again, I think is a little bit more challenging, is this idea that there was a, there's an expectation of the miraculous, I'm like, do we have that? Like, like when we gather together, when we pray, when we intercede, do we believe that God is gonna move in miraculous ways? Or are we kind of like, eh, he might, like, I don't, I don't know, he might move, but I, I don't know if he really is gonna move. Like, do we have this expectation of the miraculous? And all of four of those, I'm like, hey, you know, I see glimpses of that in the American church. I see glimpses of that in new life. And I think it's really good just kind of grid to ask ourselves, like, do we reflect the early church? Do we reflect these churches that, that can't gather in spaces like this, but are living out what that New Testament church kind of looked like? But the fifth area just kind of stopped me in this podcast or stopped us like in our tracks and we went, whoa, that, that isn't even on our radar screen. Like as the American church, as new lifers, as your pastor, I'm like that particular area, if you were talking about five pillars, that wouldn't even make the top 25, I think. And it's simply this, to embrace suffering for the glory of Jesus. Like, I'm like, whoa, like, like to embrace suffering for the glory of Jesus. Like that's not even on most of our radar screens. And yet, if you read throughout the New Testament, if not in every chapter, definitely in every book of the New Testament or every letter of the New Testament, you have evidence of people being witnesses for Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel and experiencing suffering because of it. So this isn't like an anomaly. This is like, this is like intrinsic. This is like a part of what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, in the early church. It's what it means to be a part of the underground church where Christianity is illegal and where people are, are being tortured and are losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. And we, as those who sit here in comfort and sit here in gathering spaces like this and sit here in places where we don't even have it on our radar screen of what that means. And yet one of the, one of, not the, but one of the the. The reasons that the Holy Spirit is given to the church is so that they might be faithful when they suffer. 
And for many of us, we've never experienced that and or we've never seen that that is a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. And yet when you read throughout the scriptures, you're like, oh, the Holy Spirit empowers them to be faithful there and there and there and there as they, not so they don't suffer, but as they suffer. So let me frame it for you this way within light of our series. Beautiful disruptions will lead to suffering. Beautiful disruptions will lead to suffering. And this is so challenging for us because we are suffering adverse, right? Like we tried to, I mean, we live on the central coast. We do that for a reason. We don't want to suffer. In fact, we do everything possible to try to make sure we don't suffer, even to the extent that some of us, when we start to suffer, we ask, God, are you mad at me? God, am I going the wrong direction? God, are you sure that this is the right way? I mean, I'm suffering, I'm uncomfortable. Am I, are you sure I'm going the right direction? Because if I was going the right direction, everything would be up and to the right and everything would be easy. That is actually our framework. That somehow, if I am following Jesus, I will be blessed in such a way that I will be comfortable and will not suffer. And yet when you pick up the New Testament and you read through the letters, you find the exact opposite. That when I am following Jesus and I I am proclaiming the gospel that it requires the power of the Holy Spirit because I will suffer. And the only question is, will I be faithful in my suffering? That is what, that is what the gospel is bringing about. And that's one of the main reasons that we have been infilled with the Holy Spirit. And so the question for you this morning is choose your suffering. Choose how you're going to suffer because you're going to suffer some way. You will suffer for sin or you will suffer for the gospel. You will suffer some way. Like choose how you're going to suffer. You will suffer because of the pain and loss and death and sin and brokenness and disease of this world or you will suffer in those things but with the hope of the gospel. You are going to suffer somewhere. So the only question is how you will suffer. And when you read the New Testament, you discover that there are individuals that have had such a radical encounter with Jesus and had such a radical encounter with his forgiveness and such a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit that they suffer and yet still rejoice. They suffer and have joy. They suffer and yet are witnesses to the realities of Jesus's life teaching death, and resurrection. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're in the New Testament or second half of the Bible. You'll find the the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you will find Acts. As a reminder, if you're new with us today, Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. In Luke, we discover Jesus and his gospel, his life teaching, death, and resurrection. And then Acts is like, okay, what are the implications of that in the early church? And so Luke continues the story for us in the book of Acts. Now, I need to give you some context for the passages we're gonna be studying and we're gonna be in like the second half of this passage. But give me a second to give you some context because I think this is really important because it begins to our understanding of this. In Acts chapter 16, verses one through five, we're introduced to this individual named Timothy who's coming alongside Paul and he's going to um, preach the gospel to the Jewish communities with Paul. And 
Paul looks at Timothy in, in Acts chapter 16, one through five, and says, hey, you've been called to ministry. I recognize this calling. You're gonna preach the gospel to the Jewish communities, but there's something that we have to do first, and that is we're gonna circumcise you, Timothy. Now, most Jewish boys got circumcised when they were eight days old. Timothy's gonna suffer for the gospel. <laughs> like, like, I'm sitting here thinking like, I've preached the last two Sundays with like sickness and seasonal allergies and stuff like that. And I'm like, but that ain't circumcision, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm thinking like, hey, I'll take the seasonal allergies, right? And, and this is crazy because in, in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, a question is raised about another brother named Titus. And Titus is also a Greek. And Titus, um, Paul is adamant, you don't need to be circumcised. So I'm like, hold on, bro. My man Titus didn't need this. Why do I, yeah, why do, why do I have to be circumcised, right? Like that's, that's what my mind's thinking. I know that at least that's what all the males in here are thinking, Right? And so what's interesting is that Paul gives Titus permission not to be circumcised because he is being forced to be circumcised by a Jewish community who says that the gospel is not a reality for him because he has not been circumcised. And Paul says that's false teaching. However, when it comes to Timothy, he recognizes that in order to be all things for all people, Timothy needs to enter into this community of the Jewish people to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And Timothy is what is referred to in that culture as a half-breed. His mother is a devout Jew, but his father was a Greek. And so he was, uh, people would wonder which one you are and are you really able to speak into the realities of what this, what this gospel is to me? And Paul recognizes this and says, basically, Timothy, if you're gonna be all things for all people, people, you need to get circumcised. Can you imagine? And let me ask you this. Some of you maybe have a calling to ministry in your life and you're asking yourself, hey, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I'm going to lead people to Jesus. Can I tell you, there is suffering that comes along with the calling of the gospel. There is suffering that comes along with the calling of the gospel. And this is one of the glimpses that we get that says, hey, this isn't about you, Timothy. This is about the gospel. This is about the ways of Jesus. This is about the kingdom of God. And so prepare yourself for this calling. Then you get to Acts chapter 16, six through 10, and there's some beautiful divine guidance that happens. And I, and I think it's so interesting because the spirit prevents um, Paul and Silas and, and their group from preaching in, in, um, preaching in the province of Asia. Instead, they go to Phrygia and Galatia. We know that when they're in those regions, according to Acts chapter 18, that, that, they, um, that they strengthen the disciples and believers in that particular area. But then they come to the, boulder, the borders of, of um, Mysia, and they're headed north to the province of um, Bithynia, uh, 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 Bithynia. And when they get, when they're going that direction again, they're kept. The Spirit keeps them from going there. Have you? Again, I, I want to be careful here because I, I think this is where we start feeling um, like, as Americans, we suffer, right? Like when we feel like God's keeping us from going somewhere. Like that's the extent of our suffering. I wanted to go here, but God seems to be putting up blockades for me. Like, I'm suffering. 
And, and that's not how, like, it's interesting because Paul isn't about like, oh God, you're so like, oh, overbearing. God, why don't you hear the desires of my heart? And we're like, you're making me suffer. And Paul's like, no, 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 I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says I don't go there. I go where the Holy Spirit tells me to go. And so you had this individual who is moving in that direction. And when he's, when he's at the port of Troas, he has this incredible vision of this man from Macedonia. And when Paul has this vision, it's of this man from Macedonia asking for help and to come and to help them. And the, the Greek word that's used there for help is a Greek word um, of help that's associated with salvation and the preaching of the gospel so often. And so most scholars believe that the vision articulated this idea. Would you come here and share the gospel with us? We've got people who need to know about Jesus here. Would you come here and share the gospel? And so we assume, again, so often we assume that we are, when we follow the divine guidance of the Lord, when we, when we have these visions, we have a very clear word from the Lord that, that what we're gonna be led to is greener pastures. What we're gonna be led to is easy living. Like, like we assume that if God's told us to go here, then things should be easy. And whether we say that with our words or whether it's in the back of our mind, that's the framework that many of us had. And really in Acts chapter 16, 11 through 15, it feels like that's what's happening because they go and they find themselves in Philippi and they're just outside Philippi. They're having a beautiful Bible study in a time of prayer. And this woman named Lydia, who's an entrepreneur and wealthy, she sells fine cloth. We know from other areas of scripture that she likely has two homes. We also know that when she receives the message of the gospel, her whole family gets saved, which means that she is probably the head of her household, which is unheard of in that particular area. So you, you're, it's likely that she has, again, significant wealth. And so when Paul begins to preach the, and teach the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit opens her eyes to this message and she receives the Lord into her life. Now, that's how we think ministry should go. God prevented me from going to these places, guided me to these other places. I preached the gospel and someone came to know the Lord and not only that, but their whole household. Look how good I am, Right? Like, that's kind of how we think the gospel should go. This is how it should be. And then Acts 16, 16 comes. And you're like, yeah, there are moments where everything is smooth and people come to know Jesus. Those are really sweet moments when you're proclaiming the gospel, when you're living into the realities of what God is doing. But there will be moments where you will suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, we read these words. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. And she earned a lot of money for her, for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the, all the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. I love the translations that some of you have that say Paul got annoyed. That he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left 
her. Now, a couple of things that are happening. First of all, this woman who is, uh, uh, has a spirit within her, some translations even say that she was kind of, uses the, the original Greek has this language that says that she was underfoot. So think of this. When you have a toddler that is constantly like, mama, 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 and she's under, and he or she is underfoot, and they're tugging on you, and you're almost tripping over them, and you're really getting annoyed about it, that's what this slave girl was acting like, underfoot, and she was saying, here are these servants of the most high God, uh, most high God, they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, that sounds like it's a good thing, and yet most scholars would say the way it's framed out in the original language says that she was mocking them. At the very least, she was mocking them. At the very best, she was saying, they're telling you one of the many ways to be saved, essentially is how it would be translated. And so she was saying, yeah, there's plenty of ways to be saved. Here's another one, and these ones are telling you how to do it. Or there's also another understanding for some scholars that would say she's basically calling them out in front of everybody, which is the reason they get arrested later, and saying, yeah, you know how the Rome's, Rome tells us that Caesar is Lord? These people are saying that Jesus is Lord. And so you have all of this going on, and Paul, who gets annoyed, not so much as at the underfoot, which is what we originally think, not so much in the fact that they have this slave girl following them, but at the confusion that she's creating, because what she's saying is, hey, either one, there's many ways to salvation, here's another way. Or he's, they're saying, Caesar's really Lord, these guys are telling you that Jesus is Lord. And Paul says... Stop it. And calls in the name of Jesus for this spirit to come out. He's exasperated. And he wants clarity in the message of the gospel as he and Silas and the others are preaching it. Acts 16, 19. Her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered. So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. Let's stop there for a moment. Have you ever thought about the fact that when the gospel frees people, when the name of Jesus frees people, that will, there will be people who have ulterior agendas that will be ticked off? Have you ever met somebody in a family who said, man, all of a sudden Jesus came into my life and changed me and all of a sudden my family members were like, hey, you're like one of those, like, I mean, I, I know you believe in God, but like, are you like one of those Jesus-y people now? See, there are people that, that won't fully recognize the freedom that we experience in Jesus because it doesn't fit their agenda and it doesn't fit their gain in life. And so the scripture says that they are teaching customs that are illegal for us in the Romans, in us Romans to practice. It's again, what they essentially are saying is they're saying that Jesus is Lord when you know that Caesar is Lord. And mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with a wooden rod they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. And so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, again, I don't know about you. I don't know your story. 
But I would say for 99.9% .9 of us that are gathered here today, you've never been thrown in prison because of the gospel. And you've never been put in stocks because of the gospel. And you've never been not just beaten, but severely beaten because of the sake of the gospel. And so it's really hard for us to read texts like this and texts throughout the New Testament that talk about suffering for the sake of the gospel and go, I just don't understand that world, right? And so you have these individuals that are placed in prison to put it into some perspective. They were placed into the inner dungeon, which was the darkest of dark places, which is one of the reasons that lights needed to be called later on when, when the prison doors are swung open, okay? It's the darkest of like not see your hand in front of your face dark. It's also the place where the waste from the rest of the prison would have flown towards, It's also the place where they were placed in stocks and as they're in stocks and they smell the waste of all the other prisoners coming into their particular area, there's vermin and, and rats and rodents all over the place, I imagine, in this dark place. and They can't see where they're coming from. They can just hear their squeaks. And I can venture to say that none of us have found ourselves in a situation like this for the sake of the gospel. And so it's incredibly difficult for us to wrap our heads around this type of environment. And yet Paul knows that this is exactly where he is called to be because he has a framework in the theology that says he will suffer for the name of Jesus. In fact, when he experienced Jesus and encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, this is exactly what, what, the, what Jesus told him would happen. You will suffer for my name's sake. And one of the things that we have to understand as those who follow after Jesus and maybe don't have a theology of suffering for the sake of the gospel or suffering as witnesses of the gospel is that there are plenty of studies that are done on the idea of grit. And grit is this idea that you would learn how to suffer well during difficult circumstances, that you would kind of bear down, that you would have this grit about you. And one of the foremost characteristics of having grit is knowing and being prepared for suffering. So like when you go into a situation and you assume it's going to be hard, it says you have a much higher capability of having grit. So some of you, when you went through chemo, you said, this is gonna be really hard. So when you experienced the hardness and the suffering of, of chemotherapy, you were like, yes, I knew that this was gonna be hard. And you kind of bear down in that particular moment. But some of us, we go into situations and we think, well, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and he came into my life and now my life is supposed to be up and to the right. And so when it's not, we go, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know I was gonna suffer. I'm out. I thought I was doing this whole Jesus thing so I wouldn't suffer. And so our faith gets wrecked. But read what happens. Verse 25. 
around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. And so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. I want you to turn to somebody near you and say, can't stop, won't stop. This is a can't stop, won't stop. Some of you know the reference, right? So, so, so can't stop, won't stop, right? And you're like, hey, I'm jamming out now, right? So like, so what we have to recognize is that in this particular moment, it's around midnight, which means the, the whole reference there is this idea that they had been in there for a while. See, some of us can suffer for a day. Some of us can suffer for an hour, but the intent here is to get you to understand they had been in that inner dungeon in the waste with rats around them for a while. And at midnight, even after a while, guess what they're doing? They're singing hymns and they are praying. Uh, one theologian, Patty Hopkins, was doing some research for her study guide, and she sent me this. Uh, some theologians believe that what was being uh, sung there was the Hallel, which is the same hymn that Jesus sang as he was getting ready to be arrested and then, you know, following Passover meal and was going to be arrested and crucified. And so the tradition grew that when you were in a time of suffering, that's what you sang, because that's what Jesus sang as he was ready to, to endure his suffering. And what's fascinating to me here is that how many, how many of us here have heard this story before? Or raise your hand if you've heard this story before, right? So a bunch of us maybe grew up hearing this particular story. I think that many of us, myself included, until doing some deeper dive studying in this text, thought, hey, they're singing and praying so they will experience the freedom of being let out of prison. But that's not what I got as I was reading this particular passage. They are singing and they are praying so that they will remain faithful in their suffering. They actually don't know whether or not they're gonna get out of this. They have no idea. We have the privilege of knowing the rest of the story. They don't know that. And so they're not singing and they're not praying so that they will get rescued. They're singing and praying because they said, God, if I'm going to suffer, may I be faithful in my suffering for the sake of your gospel. That is what they're singing and praying about. That's what they're trying to make sure that they are faithful in. And so the second thing that you see happening here is that in their singing and praying, they have other prisoners that are watching. Church, can I tell you something? That we have a world who has yet to believe in Jesus, who's watching to see how we suffer. And here's what I think that many people in the world think about you and I as Jesus followers. We will raise our hands and say Adonai and Elohim and Yahweh on a Sunday morning where, where the temperature is just right and our seats are cushy and we can raise our hands. And if it's the song, even some of us struggle to sing that song because it's a new song. I would be more comfortable if you sang songs that I already knew, right? Come on, let the Holy Spirit convict for just a moment. Right? I, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
And so what we find ourselves doing is we're, is we're being watched by a world that says, yeah, you'll worship and you'll lift up Jesus's name in those moments, but you won't worship and lift up Jesus. You will raise your hand in an environment like this, but let suffering come and your hands will go down and you will stop worshiping. And that's the real you. And that's what many people are waiting to see. And it's not that I don't think that the worship that happened here today wasn't beautiful. I think it was sweet to the Lord's ears. So don't hear me saying that. But I do think that there's something that the Lord takes delight in. That when he sees his people worship him in their suffering. As a young minister, the most painful call I ever received was from some of our very good friends. And I still have the wailing and the cries through the phone in the background as somehow through the broken tears, the words came out that she's gone. She's gone. And we need you to come. As I began to gather more information, as I went to the hospital, I began to realize that our incredible friends had lost their little girl to SIDS. They had laid her down. And when they went in to get her up for a nap, she wasn't there. She wasn't awake. She didn't wake. But what's even more ingrained in my mind than that was the funeral and celebration of life service that we held a few days later where my friends sat on the front row and when we began, when we began to sing songs of worship, they were the first ones to stand up and to lift their hands and worship. And I think that when we worship in here, it's beautiful and it's an incense to the, to the Lord. But I think that the Lord delights in us just a little bit more. I don't know, there's no biblical reference for this. I'm just telling you my, my heartbeat. I think the Lord delights in the worship just a little bit more. When those, that worship comes from a hospital room as somebody's taking their last breath or that worship comes as you watch someone that you've given years and years to and, and they walk out on you. And you still say, God, I don't understand this and I don't understand why I have to suffer through this, but I'm gonna worship you through it. And that, I think there's a little bit more delight when you walk out of a doctor's office and you don't get the healing that you thought you were gonna get, but you get the, you only got four months left. And yet you still walk out of there and say, but God, I'm gonna worship you in my suffering. I don't like it. I don't think it's fair. Do you think Paul and Silas thought it was fair? Do you think they liked it? I think there's a little bit more delight when some of us have chronic things that we carry with us our entire lives and we get up every day hoping that God will heal us and for whatever reason, the healing doesn't come and yet we get up and say, in the midst of my suffering, I will worship you. Someone needs to hear this word today because the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you might be faithful in your suffering, faithful in your depression, 
faithful in your sickness, faithful in your loss, faithful wherever you find yourself, that you would be faithful. I don't know, I'm gonna be able to read this now with my tears. Here we go, here we go. Now let me say this. The reason I know that the Holy Spirit can allow us to be faithful in these moments is because an inner dungeon and an empire and a prison could not contain the witness of the gospel. Depression, sickness, relational heartache, job loss, financial destruction, when we find ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit and are a faithful witness, those things cannot contain the faithful witness of the gospel. They cannot imprison you. Acts 16, 29. So the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone and your household. What must I do to be saved? Here's what he's not asking. And again, this is where it's difficult. I think that's why we focus so much on heavenly theology in the church in America. We say, hey, we don't, we're not really suffering now that, all that much. So, so we're gonna just have you focus on heaven. This jailer is not asking, how do I get to heaven one day? He is asking, how do I get saved right now? How can salvation, how can I be rescued? I, I watch it. Now you gotta remember, this jailer was likely a Roman soldier who is in retirement and that's why he's a jailer now. He's seen some things. He's seen some things. He's seen suffering. And here now he's got this, he's got this difficulty of having these individuals who are placed in prison in waste and brokenness and there are all these things and they're suffering and yet they still are rejoicing and he has the opposite happening in his life. Saying, how can I be saved? How can I have what you have? How can I experience the salvation of what you're talking about? And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all those who were in his household. And even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized and he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And what we have happening here is a, a snapshot of almost Acts 2, 42 through 47. So this jailer didn't just receive this cognitive belief in Jesus. You, he believed and his life and his whole household was transformed. And then one of my favorite parts, if you skip down to 1640, it says this. When Paul and Silas left the prison, so they leave prison. They returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them, the ones who were in prison, encouraged them once more. And then they left town. To do what? To hide? To go sit on the beach somewhere? To go play golf? To whatever? I'm not downing. You can have those things in your life. Don't you worry. But here's what they went to go do. To share the gospel and suffer more for it. Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And we want, I want to have a time of silent reflection. I want you to ask yourself this. Ask more, ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, 
Would you reveal my level of comfort? Would you open my eyes to my comfortableness? Would you help me understand maybe where I have allowed myself to follow you with my mind, but I haven't really lived into that reality? Reveal my level of comfort. God, would you convict me if I find myself too comfortable? If I have been living into and just been like, I'm good right here. And God, you have more that you want me to step forward into. Would you reveal that? And then the second question to ask the Holy Spirit is, am I willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to suffer relationships? Am I willing to suffer that promotion? Am I willing to suffer that person, like, and live out the implications of the gospel with integrity, even though other people seem to be jumping me in the corporate ladder because of their lack of integrity? Am I willing to suffer in my bank account so that I can have that integrity? Am I willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel by trying to do the hard work of relationship restoration? Am I willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? so that I might be a witness of who Jesus is, his life, teaching, death, and resurrection. And lastly, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with your spirit so that even in my suffering, even in my sickness, even in my loss, even in my grief, even in my uncertainty, even as my spouse walks away, even in my tension with my child, even in my suffering, that I will rejoice and bear witness to who you are. Teach me, God, to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As always, I invite you to take a breath before you leave, and we have a ministry team up here at the front, and they would love to encourage you, to pray with you, to share with you how you can walk with Jesus more faithfully and experience his forgiveness and salvation in your life. I wanna invite you this morning to sing with me as we uh, conclude our, this message on suffering. Let us sing the doxology together and remind ourselves of the God that we serve. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. As you leave today, May you be found, found faithful through the power of the Holy Spirit, even as you suffer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.